I feel kind of bad. Why is that? Well, I mean, secondarily, I feel bad that I'm developing <clears throat> a reputation as someone who doesn't finish things. Developing? Mm. <clears throat> because I, I barely started my homework. I don't remember what your homework was. I'm still I'm still angry about the watching the first half of a movie. I would rather you watch zero of a movie. The uh, Michael Douglas movie. I've, I've seen about half of that. Yeah, it's not. It, that's not appropriate. I'm. Um, <clears throat> I don't know how to say this, but there, there's another movie I've been watching a lot. We should probably come back to that. Uh, every time I start to watch something, I just want to watch this other movie. That's fine. That's fine. Like, don't watch anything else then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I don't. I don't understand how that's even a thing in your life. The idea that you will watch half of a movie. I'm trying to pin it to whether it's part of my post-TiVo mentality. But um, I, I think that's definitely a big part of it, is that I can always go back in and pick up wherever I left off, you know? Maybe if you've seen the movie before, that's oh, or lots of times before, that's kind of okay because you kind of just have it on in the background and you know the whole movie and whatever. But the first time you're watching, you got to watch it from beginning to end. You just you just have to. Ugh. Yeah, you know, one of the things on the list, uh, I don't want to get to this straight away, but the um, I have this whole section I've created called Fifty Shades of John, you probably saw, where I have all these questions that like are always laying in plain sight that I've wanted to ask you. And one of them is stuff like how you consume media and your setup for that kind of stuff. Because in some ways, I'm I'm really picky about that stuff. And in some ways, I'm not. I mean, obviously, the ways I'm not is I'll leave something and come back. But, like, we just saw uh, uh, Inside Out the second time this weekend. And, like, I I don't even like it when people talk. I, I Obviously, I hate when people talk during the movie. Like, talk. Like, and, and like, when they speak like this to each other the whole time, they're having a whole conversation. It drives me crazy. I don't like when they talk during the previews. I don't like when people talk during the ads. I, I just think when you're in a theater, you should be, it's like church. You should just be quiet. And I, see that, why do I say that? I say that because I think that comes out of the way people watch media so casually today. And also the, then the, like the whole like, well, this is our chance to be social. You know, we're going to go and have a night out and talk through the whole movie. And it's like, it just drives me bananas. I don't think that's a today thing. I think that has always been the case for all forms. It's just different classifications of people. But if you're one of those people who doesn't want talking during the ads or talking during the previews, then how are you watching half of a movie? Like that's... They're unrelated. That's, I think it is. I th- I th- it's kind of like that you're going there, you're going to have a, a particular experience, uh, and you just want to have it. You don't want to have the experience of listening to the other people. You don't want to hear their commentary. You just you just want everyone to just listen. Right now, we're watching the movie. We're not doing something else. We're not checking our email. We're not reading texts. We're not thinking about we're gonna, what we're going to buy at the grocery store tonight. We're watching the movie. And to be able to just stop that in the middle and just be like, all right, I was watching it. Like, I mean, you know how long it is. It says right on the thing how long. The thing, either you have that amount of time available or you don't. Hmm. Uh, watch, when you're watching a movie for the first time, it's like, say you went to go see Inside Out. You got up and you left halfway through the movie. You're like, oh, I'll just come back later and I'll, I'll come in at the same point. <laughs> Seeing it for the first time. You, you no. make it sound so crazy. It is like I mean, is it just because you pay for the ticket for Inside Out that you're not going to do that? Or well, no, and this is I think there's I think there's like you know a certain amount of subtlety to this because the thing is if usually if I'm watching something uh, at night it's after my family's gone to bed. Sometimes my my uh, my wife and I like to watch a lot of the same stuff, but like right now we don't have that much overlap. Like she's really in Orange Is the New Black, so she would just as soon watch that on the iPad in bed and then just go to sleep. 
Whereas I'm I'm really into eh, what like Amy Schumer or uh, maybe like Silicon Valley. And then if I watch a movie, the thing is I like watching it by myself in the dark with everything turned off. Like that's how I know that sounds crazy, you know, given what you know about my viewing but i really believe in like sitting down and like especially if it's a movie and i know it's a good movie i, I don't do anything else while i'm doing it now, this is all good this is all exactly what you'd be doing right up to the point where halfway through the movie i mean maybe if you're falling asleep yeah. and you have to have to stop watching because your eyes are closing you feel like you're not giving the movie justice and you you misjudge tell me why like you know i know it, it sounds like it bothers you because it's disordered but like why does it bother you in terms of like why should i not do that it's not that it's disordered it's that you're not getting the full experience especially the first time you see a movie like a, a highly recommended movie a movie that someone thinks you're really going to like or whatever it's not just a casual oh this thing happens to be on like you're sitting down to watch this movie there the movie is taking you on some sort of journey and you're not going to be able to get yourself right back in the state that you were when you stopped the movie. Like midway through the movie, it has built up from the beginning of the movie. It's building towards something, depending on where you bail. Like when you resume, unless you start the movie over from the beginning again, you're not going to be where you were when you left off. You're screwing with the way the movie is supposed to work. The, on pa- the pacing and things like that. The, the pacing, the emotion, even just keeping track of... of the plot or the characters or the the particular nuances that if you stop halfway and resume you won't remember that three minutes ago there was this little detail uh, yeah. because it wasn't three minutes ago it was you know 30 hours ago for you or whenever it was you're just you're just messing up the experience i think it's because it's the game i think it's because it's a it's a movie you like and it really is a dumb movie to stop in the middle of well, any movie, like any movie that I would recommend is like, oh, you really need to see The Godfather or Goodfellas or, you know, Empire Strikes Back. Like any movie that I'm recommending is like, this is a favorite movie or whatever. You have to, you just have to watch it. I, I really, I really, I think any movie that you're going to watch. Especially for the first time. Uh, yeah. Unless, unless it's like you're bailing because like, oh, I'm stopping watching this because it's a piece of crap. I'm not interested in it or whatever. That's fine too. But if it's a movie that, you know, you're liking... I, again, I, I can think of reasons. Maybe you're falling asleep. Maybe yeah. you have to stop because you misjudged how tired you were. But really, I think for things like this, you should just not watch it at all if you feel like you're not going to be able to make it through <laughs> or you're going to be interrupted or you're going to fall asleep right. or whatever. All right. We'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll mark it as a growth opportunity for me. But And when you when you go back, you should probably just start from the beginning. I will. I will. I will. Yeah, I will. Yeah, see, now I feel bad. It's not a long movie, right? No, I don't think so. Um, so I got into, I did some, the thing is, I didn't do the basic homework. The most important part of the homework in going back and re-listening was that I not only play Minecraft, but that I have a plan in mind for something I want to build and then go in and try to execute on that. And I spent I spent 30 minutes blowing up grass today i didn't really get very far i didn't even have a design so i don't think it even counts as starting i think i got to go back and start over new world right sure yeah no you you can wait till you're inspired or whatever you you still just playing creative yeah yeah my daughter just out of nowhere the other day went into survival mode and she's still alive she's enjoying it yeah i I don't know how i don't know how she picks this up like i don't know how she has learned so much stuff it's really weird i don't know where she gets it from because she's not like watching youtube videos she's talking to people at school i guess and stuff or camp but like she seems to be doing fine with it it's really weird yeah kids can pick it up it's a good game for kids it's not that complicated yeah and it, it really is just a lot of fun i mean 
you know, she she plays with that more than Legos now. But yeah, you don't you don't have to clean up Minecraft. That's the key. You don't step on a brown Minecraft in the middle of the night. It's not the stepping up. It's the step the stepping on is for you. The cleaning up, like oh, everyone loves to play with Legos, but then there is the after part where Daddy is constantly telling you to clean up your stuff and you don't want to. Do you, do you struggle with that? My kids do. <laughs> <laughs> I, made, I know how made, to clean up. You've made your peace with it. No, I haven't. There, the, the house is a mess eternally. Oh my god, it's know. it's it's nonstop. I mean, it's amazing because my wife is not only she likes the house to be clean, she's really good at cleaning and she's really fast at cleaning. But we're both, you know, she's super busy and I'm pretty busy, and she's better at it than me and cares more. I do what I can to like keep the kitchen clean and stuff like that, but the family room is just it's a disaster within like two days. Yeah, my my daughter can come into a room and just like. It's like you close your eyes for a second and you open them and everything is off of every shelf and covering the floor. Like she will, she can very quickly make a room impassable. You cannot, now you can no longer go through this room because the floor is covered with not like little things that you're going to step on, like large objects that make it literally impossible for you to walk. And like big projects. I, I always think of that, that few frames of the Simpsons where Marge has spent hours cleaning the kitchen. Yep. And the door swings. Yep. And then, but it swings back. It's a mess again. For my kid, like she will make a, make a fort for a doll to sleep in out of comic boxes and sheets. And then, and I'll be like, honey, like this is a fire hazard. Like this is actually kind of dangerous now. And then she starts making a house of cards literally a house of cards like in the one area that anybody can walk through and she's frustrated when it gets knocked down and then she goes and brings chairs in because she wants to start a secondary fort mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And, and here's the thing like this this trail of things that get done oh here's like a knitting project here's where i was coloring here's where i was making a book here's where i ate a snack like none of that stuff gets cleaned up when they're done with whatever this activity is it's just you move on to the next clear patch of ground and it just covers covers everything very quickly yeah, and the straws from the soy milk. There's like straw straw wrappers everywhere. It's like she's a junkie. It's like finding needles everywhere. The food, like I don't know, like how oh, the food. Like, the food, the food, the food is rough because it starts to feel like a science project, and you find it in weird places. And you the know, food on the hands. Like even if you say, "Oh, only eating in the kitchen," like they get food on their hands, and you tell them to wash their hands, but they don't, and you can't chase them around and make them wash it, or they go in and run water on their hands for two seconds, just sort of adding to the sticky concoction, and then they touch the remotes. And the next time you grab the remote, it's oh, covered with God. sticky stuff, or crusted on yogurt, or some other terrible thing. Like you, you can tell as soon as you wrap your hand around it, like the dried peanut butter is coating the outside of the remote. I like to peri- I periodically surprise her by uh, asking, uh, telling her to let me smell her hands. Now, give me your hands. Let me smell them. That doesn't smell like soap. That doesn't smell like soap. Get back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if, if only smell. You can just look at them. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, um, so I'll get back on the homework. I'm going to try and be a better person. Did uh, Did any of the uh, any of the topics uh, grab you? You don't want to talk about the movie, huh? I do. Really? I do. I just didn't I didn't know if they would fill a whole show with that. Yeah. We have we have a little tiny bit of follow up. You already did yours about the uh, the homework in the Minecraft. Oh yeah, yeah. You got the yeah, do do yours. The the total recall thing right after everyone listened to the show that we recorded some long time ago in the past, people reminded me of the other uh clue about the reality of Total Recall. Uh when he goes into the recall place to get his memory vacation or whatever it's called. Uh, the attendant who's got the little whatever that's going to plug into the machine looks at it and goes, hmm, Blue Sky on Mars. That's a new one, or some words to that effect. That's the name of the program he does, Blue Sky on Mars. So it's it's all right there. Yeah, like the woman, the actress that he meets in the thing is shown on on the screen. 
the things from the climax of the movie are shown on the screen. The name of the program is Blue Sky on Mars. And yet there are people who say, I think they kind of left it ambiguous. I, I don't think it's ambiguous why do, how do you? How or why do you think we miss it? Well, you only when you watch it for the first time, maybe if you're good, you notice that the woman's face is the same as the actress that's later, but it's very small and it's fuzzy and you can't tell. Only afterwards do you do you say, oh, when, you know, Blue Sky on Mars, that's the end of the movie, and maybe you connect that back to the title if you remember it. The big alien pillar things, you only see them at the end of the movie, and then you have to remember that you saw them before, right? Right. So at the second viewing... When, during that scene, if you pay attention to the details, you're like, oh, this memory place couldn't possibly know all these super secret hidden things on Mars unless there aren't super secret hidden things on Mars. They're just part of the program. Mm. What's the name of that program? Blue Sky on Mars. Blue huh. Sky on Mars. And we got a YouTube video there. We'll try and put that in show notes. Yeah, I think sometimes it's hard to know when you're watching a movie, and I, I don't mean to put a value judgment on this, but like if it's a popcorn movie versus a real, like if you know it's a mystery, I mean, I think sometimes we watch those things differently. You know, and you start to really look for clues. And maybe in that one, maybe you're not looking for clues so much at the beginning. No, but, like, it's a very old movie. Like, by this point, if, you know, I, I can totally understand. You watch a movie the first time, you totally miss this. But it's it's been out. It's been on television. It's been on video. Like, it's uh, at this point, it should be common knowledge. Not, like, the first week it opens. Not even the first year it's out. Not even when it comes out in a VHS. But, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, however long it is after that movie we should all just know and accept that that was uh, that was the plot of that movie. You're making me think of something else about myself now, which is that I sometimes... I, my, my recollection of certain things in movies is so spotty in what I feel like is such an inconsistent way, but one thing is, like, I frequently just kind of forget how a movie ended. Or, like, yeah. or the, the exact, like, details of how a movie ended. Yeah, you can really just remember how you felt at the end of the movie and not necessarily what happened. A lot, a lot of movies, uh, especially if I don't see them many times, yeah. start to fade. Like even movies I like a lot, though, I mean, I'm not sure I could tell you everything that happened in the right order, even if it's not like a, you know, a wackadoodle movie. If it's not a, it doesn't have to be a noir. It doesn't have to be a Big Lebowski. It doesn't have to be a multi-scene movie. I sometimes feel like, a, I feel like I'm not a very careful watcher. Yeah, I... I usually just remember one pivotal scene or one scene where I realize how the movie is going to end or what they're going for. Like, I think a great example is uh, Shortcuts, which I've seen many times. Uh, and the only scene I remember is the rock scene. I don't think movie. I've ever seen that. Oh, well, I don't Is that the Raymond Carver it. stories? Uh, it's Altman. Right, right. I think it's all like Raymond Carver stories. Uh, Probably. Like, it's... It's like little mini episodic ish. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's very much like Magnolia. Uh-huh. And I think Shortcuts is probably a quote unquote better movie, but I enjoy Magnolia more. Or like something like, say, Valentine's Day. I think I've seen that one. <laughs> it's one of the, that's, that's one of oh, the, flop the Flop House, house where they did one? your letter. No, I've definitely not seen that one. <laughs> I uh, pretty much never see the Flop House movies. That's the funny part when people are like, should I listen to the Flop House? And, you know, if I haven't seen the movie, and I'm like, I've seen. Lately, they've done more that I've seen, but I've, I I think I've probably seen fewer than a dozen of the movies they've talked about on there. Yeah, I find that upsetting when they do a movie that uh, that like they you know Jupiter Ascending. Or I know whatever it is. I, I, that, that's a movie that I actually wanted to see, and now I can't listen to the flop house until I see it. But pretty much never, they never overlap with something I've seen, unless it's something really old like Cobra or whatever. When they did that, you know, the eighties thing. Have you ever sought out a flop house movie? <laughs> no, 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 no. You didn't look for Food Fight. 
I knew about that from Cable Sasser of Panic uh, wow. long before the Flophouse did it because he had a similar obsession with how terrible it was. And so I had seen like YouTube videos and GIF animations and stuff. So I knew about it, but I'm never going to go find that and watch it. Watching those things that I have seen was enough. Pretty bad. Oogie Loves? Nothing? I didn't know that existed until they <laughs> until they mentioned most of the movies. I don't even like Baps. Like yeah, I mean, I guess I knew Bratz existed. Like yeah, but, uh, and Stealth. Uh, like the, the very first movie. Like I'd heard of that. It's I'm at like fifty percent for have I heard of the movies they do. Right, right, right. It doesn't deter my enjoyment. Well, I'm going to be a better uh, viewer. I'm going to do it. Um, you know, you uh, you pick, you pick. I uh, you've seen the ones that I like. If you got something else, but. Uh, See, I, the thing is, it's going to be hard. If we talk about the movie, I don't know. I really like that movie. Why is it hard? I think that's the perfect place to start. Because it would imply that I'm going to a theater twice a night. No, it wouldn't. Hang on. i got to go get a drink of water. I'll be right back. You yeah. think about You think yeah. about the movie. All right. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. To learn more about Casper's mattresses, visit caspersleep.com slash diffs, D-I-F-F-S. This is real easy to understand, gang. Casper offers an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Casper's mattresses, they're one of a kind. It's a new kind of hybrid mattress that combines the best of premium latex foam with memory foam. It's got just the right sink, just the right bounce. The best of two technologies come together for better nights and brighter days. I gotta tell you the truth, I've been sleeping on a Casper mattress for months now, and I love this thing. Yes, I love the quality of the product. It is great to sleep on. I love the sleep that I get from it. But you know what? Even these many months later, I am still pleasingly stunned at how easy this company is to deal with, and just how painless they made the entire process. Woe betide you if you ever try to navigate the fiery hellscape that is shopping for costly mattresses in a retail store. It is the worst. Casper will take you away from that. With Casper... A surprisingly small box magically appears at your door. You carry it up to your room by yourself, try that with a king-size mattress sometime, and use their little dingus to gently swipe open a bag full of awesome mattress. The mattress gently exhales, and within minutes, you have everything you need for a good night's sleep. It's actually that easy. It is actually that simple. But here's the crazy part. Casper also offers an equally simple risk-free trial and return policy. Try sleeping on your Casper for 100 nights, and if improbably it's not to your liking, you can send it back. Free delivery, painless returns, and sleep, glorious sleep. As I mentioned, the prices for these mattresses are just amazing. Starts at $500 for a twin-size mattress, goes up to $950 for a king-size mattress, which I have and love. And on top of it all, Casper has a special offer to listeners of Reconcilable Differences. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase right now by visiting caspersleep.com slash diffs and use the offer code diffs, D-I-F-F-S. We have to tell you the terms and conditions apply, but I feel very strongly that you are going to love this thing. Our thanks to Casper for making such an amazing mattress and for supporting reconcilable differences. Right before we started, I went and filled my water cup. Uh, I got everything ready, but I just did not take it with me back from the kitchen into this room. I just realized and you got it on a, on a lower level? Yes, I do. <laughs> I had heard a lot of buzz about Fury Road. Yeah, that's usually a bad sign for me. Like, tremendous things. Everyone, just incredible hype. And I don't like when that happens. Right. It's, it's, it's a form of spoiler. Not so much like I I was I stayed spoiler free, 
but people start raving and then it's like they're you know one-upping each other with the raves i mean even inside out with people comparing it to kiki's delivery services like right, this, right. just like it's well not, i, I say know. it's kind of spoiler because like there's nothing quite like whenever you, you 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 know you think about not wanting spoilers i always come back to that feeling of being a kid being like a teenager and like discovering some movie on cable that i knew absolutely nothing about or you know i knew like watching excalibur uh, yeah, Excalibur, Big Trouble in Little China, a couple of ones I discovered. Really? I'm like, what in the world is this? I, yeah, I, you know, think well, movies that wow, I discovered cool. on my own. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. I, I think of you as being so much younger than me, but I guess you're not that much younger. But like, that was right in the middle of my serious, like, first of all, my D and D period, but also my. Like, I'm enjoying getting away with stuff that's not that dangerous. Like, I wasn't, like, a bad kid. I wasn't, like, smuggling rifles or anything. But there was <laughs> Excalibur something... Excalibur had nudity in it. It had all kinds of stuff. But I think of... I've said this before, but movies like that, like, movies like Escape from New York, I mean, you could guess roughly what it's going to be about, but there's a certain a special joy to, like, sneaking out and watching that at, like, 10 or 11 at night while everybody else is asleep, you know? And, or just uh, catching it, catching like the in the middle of the movie, like not even knowing what the title is. You're like, what the hell is this movie about? And just watching it from like the first quarter of the movie in, and just ha- having it rope you in. But like knowing v- virtually nothing about it, like you might know the name, you might know kind of what genre it is, you might read the little uh, you know synopsis or something. But like you know, this was a time when you had to try a little harder to find out information about you know stuff. That, have I told the story about? I'm sure I have on podcasts that you've probably listened to. The place where you'd find out information, you know, the, the, the TV guide, not the actual, like, name brand trademark TV guide. The, the one in the Sunday booklet. paper. Right. But, yeah, the one that comes with your newspaper. Either in the newspaper itself they would have TV listings or a little slip-in thing that have TV listings. And so if you wanted to know what the hell is this on Channel 11, you would go open the little TV guide that comes with your newspaper or the newspaper, find the time, find Channel 11, and it would say the title of the show and then like one sentence, five words, seven words, like depending on if it was in the grid or like a paragraph format of it would explain what it is that you're watching. Right. Right. Uh, and I kind of like that because they had there was, you know, column inches and page sizes, so they couldn't really go on very long about it. And the longer the program was, the more room they had to write. Uh, and the little descriptions had to explain, you know, what is Excalibur or Big Trouble? Like, what, how would you do Big Trouble in Little China in in like seven words? Well, I mean, it's always the same format. You've got in bold letters, and ours was I think it was called the TV Dial. Came in the St. Pete Times, and uh, if it was a movie, like you say, that would be maybe what uh, half an inch of height, you know, a couple centimeters in height. So you'd have enough room for the title of the movie in bold, the rating. Um, might have the runtime. I don't think, I think that was just mainly indicated by the size of the block. And then it would be something like, you know, I'm trying to think of how to like, Uh, what's the big Lebowski one that you, that you, uh, posted a while back. Oh, but I mean, it'll be something like a a man pursues whatever who ruined his rug or something like that. A case of mistaken identity, something, something. Right. It's it's always, always like a, just like a a sentence or less (laughs) to basically say there's a protagonist, there's a verb and there's a subject. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A, um, you know, uh, uh, a um, pot smoking bowler tries to get a rug or something like that. But I mean, it would be almost that weird. Right. Yeah. And so the one of the highlights of my youth was, you know, I would do the whole time. But what is this on this channel? I would have to look it up in the paper. One of the highlights of my youth is the first time I saw a Top Gun in TV Guide. Uh, you know, it was on television. I, I, I had seen it in the theater. I knew about the movie. I didn't need to. to uh, 
look it up to identify it. I think it was just scanning the grid, and it said, oh, Top Gun on, like, 6 p.m., whatever. This was the description. Trivializes war by turning it into a music video. Period. That was the entire description. And I just pictured this one person, this one lonely, disgruntled person, their moment of triumph. I'm like, that is the best description I've ever seen. My God, I can't believe that made it, it in. Didn't bother, yeah, didn't bother describing the plot, the stars. It's just like a, a statement. <laughs> Trivializes war by turning it into a music video. Period. Right alongside the you know, every other sort of boring, prosaic description of a television show. But the reason I say that... that- you know, whether it's, um, I guess I feel like any widely held, widely shared opinion about a piece of media is a, is a kind of spoiler. Because what is a spoiler? A spoiler is something that denies you the opportunity to take the product on its own terms, right? And as much as, you know, you may, we may disagree a little bit on Fight Club, like I really do try to go into it saying, like, it's like anything. It's like any performance. Any, you know, you go see somebody do a talk, anything like that. You want it to be good. You want to enjoy it. And you want to go live in that little world for a while. So whether that's Speed Racer or whether that's Fury Road or whether it's Age of Ultron or whatever, like, you know, gosh, maybe maybe three, two or three times a year you get an opportunity to walk in somewhere and go, that was not what I expected. Wow. That's super interesting. So even when you find out, if you hear it's really bad, you know, like I, everybody's talking about how terrible Jupiter Sending is. I really liked it. You know, um... Anyway, that's why I say it's a little bit of a spoiler, because already you, you're having your expectations calibrated. Isn't that kind of how you feel with the, like, hey, this is better than Kiki kind of stuff? Yeah. Well, so, like, I'm I'm mostly not opposed to seeing trailers, and I had seen Mad Max trailers for a long time. Like, oh, they're making another Mad Max movie. The trailer just looks conventional. If you watch the Mad Max trailer, it's like, well, you know, it looks like Mad Max. They're in a desert. They've got cars. They're wearing, you know, spiky leather things and fighting with each other, and the cars are driving around. And there's some CGI storm stuff, like, do they really need to make another Mad Max movie? Whatever. Like, that was my attitude from the trailers. And then when the hype starts, some of that hype goes towards leveling out my, you know, sort of boredom with the trailer. It's like, oh, well, the trailer made me think, I'm not going to be interested in this, whatever. It's just, you know, there's a million action movies that I'm never going to see that they're just, you know, middle of the road, whatever, uh, like, not my thing. But hearing from everybody that, no, no, you don't understand. Fury, there's something different about Fury Road. There's something special about it. You really have to go see it. They didn't come out and say, never mind the trailer. It's not as conventional as it looked. But the raving levels it off and brings it back to what I would think is neutral. Neutral is in, I never saw the trailer. I just wander into the theater. Someone starts playing this movie. But then the incessant hype is like, okay, now people are saying, like, this is the greatest movie ever. Everyone who made it is a genius. Uh, it's the best action movie ever made, blah, 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 blah. And now you're like, all right, there's no way it can live up to this hype. So now I'm going in, and not that I'm looking to dislike it, but that it, it has it's been... Gotta, it's got to try harder to earn it now. It's been put up too high on a pedestal. So like, it, it, almost anything will be a disappointment. Even if I really, really like it, if it's not the best movie I've ever seen in my life, then I feel like I had been misled. So I tried to keep that hype under control, and... The fact that I went to the theater and saw it shows that hype got to me a little bit because I was, in the beginning, I was like, I'm not going to go to the theater to see this, so I'll right, wait for right. it to come on in video. But so many people were raving about it. I was like, look, I better I better go see this in the theater because a lot of the raving led me to believe that this is the kind of movie that you should see in the theater because you needed the big screen, the loud sound, the dark, like all that. A lot of movies are like that, whether I like them or not, like uh, Interstellar, Gravity... A lot of big, loud space movies 
gain tremendously from seeing in the theater. So I'm like, if I want to combat this hype, I want to give this movie the best opportunity to put its best foot forward and to make an impression on me. It will hopefully live up to the hype enough where I'll feel like I didn't waste my time and money going to see this movie. How'd it do? Well, I and I saw it pretty early, like the hype was going and I'm like, I need to get to the theater now because if I just, if I stew in this hype for weeks, it's just going to get worse. So I should get there as soon as possible and not allow the hype to sort of build up in my system. And I think I got there early enough that the movie wasn't exactly what I expected. Like I had heard a lot of hype about it and I had seen the trailer, but it was more Terry Gilliam ish than I expected it to be, mm-hmm. and that little soft, that little bit of like off kilter, unexpected angle really helped me appreciate and enjoy the movie because because it, like sort of the the feeling of watching the movie and how it would land on me hadn't been spoiled. Everything that people were saying is like, oh, was well, it just like a really exciting action movie? And these like I, I I kept thinking basically that like for people who like action movies, maybe this is a really well done action movie, like a really good Fast and Furious movie, which is fine, not really my thing, but maybe that's why these people are excited. And it turned out, no, this is not like a really good Fast and Furious movie. This movie has things in it that are special and different and unique among the movies that I've seen. And, and so and I new. was I, I was really excited right. for a movie to I mean, a lot of it was like kind of a mashup and remix of things that I had seen before, but I love it when that's, it's kind of like, you know, one of my favorite, uh, Quentin Tarantino movie series, kill bill. A lot of that stuff in that, in that movie is stuff I'd seen before, but it's also stuff that I loved and smushing it all together. It, the sum is greater than its part. So I feel like fury road doing action movies, Mad Max art films, Terry Gilliam, uh, and sort of the purity of form, like the, uh, it, I, you know, even with all the hype, I found that it, I was unexpectedly delighted by it. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and it's funny because in a, in a similar way to Inside Out, which is a movie we talked about recently on The Incomparable, um, you know, we, we've, you could describe, <clears throat> on the one hand, you could describe what happens in the movie. And it doesn't, it sounds far from interesting. On the other hand, you could even describe, describe how and why, why and how they did it well. You could even like go further to like try and describe like why this is one of the best executions of certain kinds of ideas you've ever seen. But it's really, it's all in the implementation. There's nothing in describing Fury Road. I mean, like you said, from watching the trailer and describing, it's hard to describe how much this movie is like pure implementation in a way that's like breathtaking. There's nothing in this movie that you've never seen before, but it's so, I don't know. I mean, I can watch a scene and go, okay, oh, that's kind of like the matrix. That's kind of like Dune. You know, that's kind of like this. That's kind of like that. But even still I went like, yeah, that's like Dune, but that's kind of better. Like, oh, that is, that is a little like, this is like Brazil. This is like Jodorowsky's Dune, but like this one made it on the screen. I mean, the spectacle, that, that's, that shot right there looks a lot like Metropolis, except it's completely gorgeous. And you know what I mean? So for all those things, I mean, this is this is what makes movies special, is that you do really have to be there. You can't describe to somebody. I mean, <laughs> the, the ones it's it's again like we talked about with having a dream. It's you know when you tell somebody your dream, you're telling them a story. But what you really can't describe is the feeling. And I just felt like this. I was just catching my breath with not just the action, but just how like over the top and well executed so much of the insanity in this movie was. Setting aside the part I really want to talk to you about is like how like you talk about the high degree of difficulty, like what they ended up pulling off 
in terms of a variety of difficult issues, uh, I thought was just breathtaking. Yeah, for people who haven't watched the movie, by the way, we haven't really spoiled it yet. Yet, maybe we hyped it up too much. Yeah, but yeah, treat yourself. Go, go watch the movie. Pause the podcast. Come back because we are eventually going to probably ruin the whole movie, and it's worth seeing. Welcome back. So the, the thing about Fury Road, I think you can, or at least I think I can describe the part that I didn't expect was the purity of form that the the movie feels no compulsion to do the things that seem obligatory in every other Hollywood movie of any genre. And they just said, we're not going to do a lot of those things. It is just going to be start to finish relentless. Like if you were to describe it, like, so is that it? Is that what the whole movie is? Like, yes. That's yeah. Like a, a truck whole... drives out into the desert and drives back. That's the whole <laughs> movie. How can that not be boring? It's like, you don't understand. Like it is, it is so so distilled so like they removed it's kind of you know it's like the, you know, the johnny ive things like removed everything that is not essential to their vision and it just grabs you and and it's like it's a, like the old maxell ad you feel like your hair is blown back for the for the entire movie you're completely wrapped up in it uh you don't care that the plot is small and thin like that's not the point it is right it's a lot like a like a short story or a, a short film and like lots of short films are have this purity of form where it's like well you don't have time for lots of you don't have time for setup and character introduction and development and and twists and turns you err on the side of less in in, yeah. a, in a short film and especially if it's a more artsy kind of short film you err on the side of if i could say trusting the audience to like you know as with a comic fill in the space between the panels to make something that, you know, that has such a huge amount of impact without the girth of a Hollywood movie. And you don't feel the need to have the other things. Like, well, we could have this moment here and we could do this. No, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need to have those other things. It, it is enough for me to do what I'm planning to do as well as I can do it. That's, that's it. That's the whole movie. Like, but what, couldn't you have this? Couldn't there be more jokes here? Couldn't you have right. a laugh line there? Couldn't you have a character development thing here? Couldn't you have a plot twist here? Couldn't you introduce it? No, just no. We're just, this is it. They're driving, they're driving, they're driving. The movie ends. Like, right. you know, there's very brief flashbacks of things. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Don't, don't worry about those other things. It's like, it is an experience in a way that, you know, like, again, seeing the theater, the, the movies should be. They should be an experience. It shouldn't be the same as just looking at the storyboards for the movie, right? The experience of watching the movie should be different than uh, just seeing how it's laid out and, and the description of the plot and one or two good scenes. The whole movie is one really good scene, I feel like. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and again, I can't help but think of Inside Out because on, on The Incomparable, I felt like we were talking a lot about trying to describe what made this movie so moving and so well done in terms of what it didn't do, which is, you know, it's kind of an ineffective way to describe something, but there's like 200 things this movie didn't do and you felt that they didn't do it. Like, it wasn't like they were like being cute about it, but I mean, just, I mean, like the, 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 there are a couple, couple huge things I'd like to talk about. I mean, one is, I liken this a little bit I, on Twitter. I was likening this to like not explaining the most Eisley cantina in Star Wars. Like nobody had to go in there and explain what was happening in there, why there's a hammerhead guy, why someone's in there, why, there, why there's this weird band of Muppets uh, playing big band music. Like you just, you went, oh, holy shit, this is great. 
right? The first time you see the cantina scene, dun, 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 you're just you're, compl- you're like I don't don't explain anything. Just keep going. More, 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 more. You know what I mean? Do, please don't pause for a second. Why are droids not allowed? I don't know. Like why does why is this guy got the death sentence in twelve systems? I don't know. But the thing is, it's all just story, 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 total implementation, and it just keeps coming at you. And like that's so much. I realized watching Fury Road why one reason I love the first Star Wars is there is a a strangely minimal amount of over-explanation. And in this case, why does she put grease on her face? I don't know. Like, what happened to her arm? I'm not sure. Like, why do they spray paint on their face before they go through this, like, uh, berserker rage? I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure there's a reason for all of that, but I could not be more grateful that they did not explain any of that any more than was absolutely necessary to understand the next beat of the story. And the... You know, if you were to uh, imagine, like, imagine the filmmakers in my head or the characters in the movie, like, why aren't you explaining this? The answer is, there's no time. We're dri- we're driving. We got to go. Do you understand? We're go. Like every we got to get the brides out of here. <laughs> everything connects to everything else. There is there is literally no time. Like, there's no time for the characters in the movie to explain things to each other. There's barely time for them to think or feel anything. Like, there's no time for anybody. They just have to, it. it the, the movie hurdles forward in a way that, like, and I worry, like. Uh, when I, uh, who I'm going to recommend this movie to? Because this type of relentless sort of assault on your senses can have the exact opposite effect. If you're not into what they're sort of laying down, if if it if you find it upsetting or uh, like if it just looks like a giant headache coming at you, right? Like you take something like Speed Racer or Pie or some kind of movie that is, that is really over the top in like kind of overstimulating. Yeah. And this, this is, that's the definition of this movie. And so if you don't enjoy that, it is just an assault on your sensibilities from start to finish. And you're like, this is the worst movie ever. I haven't heard a lot of people who say that, but I worry that, and you know, when I recommend this to people, is this the type of person who's going to tell me like the, the, you know, great analogy of my life. And I've heard this before is like, Goodfellas, so it was like just unassailable, like this amazing movie I can recommend it to anyone. And I quickly found out that there are certain classes of people who you recommend Goodfellas to and they can't get past the cursing. And you're like, seriously? Sure, like that's sure. And just, it just, that's, you know, could, they cannot enjoy the movie because of the cursing. And it's like, I did not expect that. I've had right? that with, I've had that with Glengarry Glenn Ross, um, where, I mean, I watched Glengarry Glenn Ross, the film, and I mean, it might not be a, a Swiss clock. But it's the it's it's very very close to poetry, um, you know, to verse. Like the 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 I think for myself, I'm very attracted. If it's a talking movie, I'm very attracted to movies like Big Lebowski, right? <laughs> I mean, you think about all the stuff that I like to quote. A lot of it is stuff where there is obvious relish in the musicality of language. So I mean, for somebody like me watching Glengarry Glenn Ross. I watch that like other people, like you watch tennis probably, where I'm like, oh my God, this is, it's so gorgeous. I feel every one of these words in my head and in my mouth as they're saying it. <laughs> but I might recommend that to somebody and they watch and they go like, that's not how people talk. And you're like, I know, but I mean, like, it's a movie about a play. <laughs> that's, this is like, this is, they're presenting a certain version of the world in like a pretty flawless way. Like, how can you not appreciate that, you know? It's almost something like sometimes you people need there's a certain amount of artifice that like if there's too little artifice it like it is not it, it doesn't grab them it's like it movie if you have movies where people talk like they really talk that's that reads as boring to most people mm-hmm. uh, and if there's too much artifice then it's, you know oh people don't talk like that right it has to be just the right amount and you can actually wrap it around a little bit like have you ever seen brick no i don't think so 
you can add that to your list. I don't think it's like uh, essential viewing, but anyway, um, it's a movie set in high school, but the, the the sort of it's treated as if it's like a noir type of movie with a little bit of Shakespeare thrown in. I forget what their the affectation is exactly. People who are more familiar with this movie now are cringing, but anyway, it has a particular affectation that doesn't match the setting. That's incongruous, and everyone talks in a funny way. And that's so much artifice that anybody watching the movie is like, oh, I get what they're doing here. It's not supposed to sound realistic. It's an, an and, kind of elevated way of speaking. Yeah, and they may they may like it. Or it's it's like a genre mashup. Like, oh, imagine that genre, but with high school kids. Uh, I, I think it's great, but if you don't like it, at least you know why you don't like it. But with, you know, something like Glengarry Glenn Ross, it's like, it seems like they're trying to make it sound like people talk this way, but nobody does, and I don't like it. And you just you just have to have an appreciation for that. In, in the same way with Mad Max. Like, right. The, those movies sort of uh artfully written dialogue heavy uh type of movies you either like that kind of movie or you don't and mad max if you don't like that kind of movie is superb amazing example of that kind of movie in its purest form is just you know a pure form of something you don't like oh yeah yeah no and i, I totally accept that what you know let me ask you this one this is really out of left field but um did you like primer yeah, big big fan. We did an incomparable episode of it. It's uh, I see now. I have to tell you, um, that is a movie that I, I I kind of almost don't want to know if you can find flaws in that because I've read websites about that. I've looked at diagrams about that. I've gone up, gone back, you know, over the years and watched it probably I don't know at least six or eight times, and I find that movie like incredibly satisfying. Um, Partly because it does now that one does feel a little bit like a Swiss clock. If it's not, it's pretty damn close. But I also I I love that it juxtaposes the this utterly would you call it hard? It's kind of kind of a hard sci-fi, wouldn't you say? I mean, it's pretty. Yeah, it's as hard as you can be on that budget. No, I just mean in the sense that like this is not like there's no you know right right. I feel like they want it. To do real hard sci-fi, you need a budget for for research and a little bit for maybe special effects and stuff that they didn't have. So they kind of had to hand wave a lot of things there. But but yeah, it takes it takes the sci-fi things seriously. It takes it. I felt like it took it very seriously. But like, what's amazing about that movie is it combines, in some ways, it combines the and I don't mean this. I don't mean this negatively. The the pretensions of a great science fiction novel and melds it with. I don't know if you've ever seen like early Richard Linklater. If you've ever seen like Slacker or Dazed and Confused, like th- those those the people seem like serious people, albeit serious people from a Richard Linklater movie who happen to be in a very se- serious science fiction movie. And there's something about that combination of the mundane and the seemingly impossible that I I, I find intoxicating. Like the the early scenes in that movie, you're like, what's this movie about? Like this is really weird. Like they're sitting around the table, they're not sure if they have enough money. They're yeah, they're, they got their other jobs they got to do. You know you know what I mean? Like going to that movie cold is a joy. But like that's a movie where I've said to people, oh, you know, like personally, I've got a little bit of a weird fetish. I like time travel stuff. And so like I'll say, oh, if you like time travel movies, you should really check out Primer. And there's some people who like can't make it you know past the first yeah, no, act it doesn't it doesn't grab you right off the bat and the people are talking and you don't know what it's about and and unless you're entirely thrilled to see what it's about and as the ebert saying goes how it's about it unless that thrills you you're just you're just going to get lost in the it's such a slow because... ride though that slow unfolding of that but i mean i think that that film's kind of a miracle especially given the the modest budget but i only cite it here as another example of you know it's you know we always have to set aside the things like in my case like is escape from new york a good movie not really not really 
<laughs> but it has such a place in my heart as one of the first action movies like I discovered and loved and referenced on my own. You know, King of, the, King of New York, A number one. Like, so I can set all those things aside. It's just that, you know, it's hard to know what somebody comes to that movie for. Certainly, some people will be there to have a conversation during Inside Out. Um, some people are looking for a very specific level of dramaturgy and absorption, right? They don't want to, I'm not saying, I'm trying to avoid saying they don't want to think too much, but I think there's a certain, a pretty precise amount of thinking that people are comfortable doing for certain genres of movies or a certain amount of familiarity they're familiar, they're, they're comfortable with. Do you, do you know what I mean? Where like if it way exceeds or doesn't meet that amount of what they're looking for in that movie, it kind of doesn't pass the bar. Well, that's, yeah, that's like uh, any any entertainment movies video games book or whatever you always want something that is just at the edge of your ability to uh to process it because otherwise we would be reading the cat in the hat to ourselves over and over again and be endlessly entertained but at a certain point your brain is like books of that level I and mean, maybe the cat in the hat there's a little artfulness of the like so- something simple like see spot sit or whatever like it's just it's not going to grab you right that's the extreme people can totally understand that everyone accepts that like children's books maybe not very artfully done children's book like dr seuss those have some artistic merit even to adults because they're just very clever and interesting and musical but uh, but, yeah so like this is this is the concept you're describing the way i have difficulty explaining it to people without going to the extremes because everyone will agree that of course you're not entertained by by children's or babies things right but no one wants to believe that their ability to be entertained by something is limited by in, in the same way that you know it was limited when they were a child and now they can't and like and this this applies to everybody right that, that there is something that you would watch that you would find completely impenetrable and not be entertained by it at all but someone else watches that and that is just at the edge of their understanding they have a cultural background for it they have the context they have the education they have the experience with the genre whatever it may be to them it is sublime and, and beautiful and exciting and to you, it just looks like line noise, right? And so Primer is kind of in the, you know, in the middle of the road, like geeky type thing. Some geeky people are going to find it so trite that it's boring. Some people are going to find it too impenetrable. And really? Some there, there, like, there, are nerds like who, there are nerds who don't like that movie? Well, you know, it's as you go up and up, uh, you know, as it takes it's sort of like it, as it takes more to to be novel and entertaining to you, it's it's easier to describe in video games because as you play video games, you you crave more. Some people, you know, crave more sophisticated things that challenge them, uh, that are at the edge of their ability. They're not going to be entertained by something simple that they've played a million times before. Right, and right. movies, if you've you know, like that, that's why Primer is exciting. It's like oh, I've seen a million time travel movies. This one pushes the genre out to, in a more interesting direction. Um, I mean, because I'm trying, like I'm curious what you would consider a time travel movie that is more engaging for nerds than that. Because I felt like that was like that was like PCAM of of time travel movies to me. Like I, I felt like that was pretty sophisticated. Well, it is, but like there's the movies that we don't even know about that because they're not even in our circles that are or maybe like for movies it's harder, but like, you know, literature or whatever that you need such a background to appreciate and understand that we wouldn't be able to uh, make heads or tails of them. Right. Okay. Like, it's like everyone wants to think that they're like, there's a movie that I appreciate that the lesser people don't, but no one wants to think that there's movies that they don't appreciate and don't even know exist that other people <laughs> find fascinating and that they would look at primer and say, that's like a baby's toy. Right. right? Not, not in a condescending kind of way, but like, yeah. That that 
because it always becomes like I'm better than you type of thing. It's just that there is a continuum of enjoyment from the time you're a baby to the time you're an adult. And then it probably t- tapers back into like whatever it is that entertains you has no intrinsic merit above or below something that entertains someone else. Right. It's I just totally a matter agree. of totally what, yeah. what what matter of what entertains you and understanding that and understanding that you are not at the at the extreme of either one of those ranges and that you will move around in that range during your life or depending on your mood or whatever is the key to not getting hung up on what someone likes or doesn't like and to sort of understand i mean maybe creators don't think about it that much because you probably go crazy if you think about it at that level you really just have to kind of make a movie that you like but uh that that helps me understand people who don't like fury road people who find primer impenetrable and although i've never met them i'm absolutely sure that people exist who find primer silly and trite and too simple i mean for me primer the thing that i when i think about it we talked about it in the uncomfortable on a, on a past episode is like there are problems in the movie having to do with the budget and experience of the filmmaker that make it more difficult to understand than than it needs to be like this you know the bad sound in the fountain scene alone you know i mean yeah some of the sound was pretty weird but don't you kind of love the the machine it's like if you have if you have a low budget for <laughs> a time PVC travel piping and plastic. And yes, exactly. I mean, hundred percent precisely because it also totally feeds in to this whole like bargain basement approach that these guys would have to take. Yeah, and the weeble with the mold, like it's all you know. They're working around their budget. It's great. Like the the thing that I love so much about Primer is like that in the scene where he's taking the guy out in the truck to see something, and we have no idea. Yeah, whether, let's not spoil talking, it. And yeah. Then, yeah, all right, well. Anyway, like the way things are sort of uh, matter of factly discussed between people in a realistic manner was like that. That's what that's why this is a such a beloved geek movie. You're like, look, if this was happening to me, this is how I would react, and this is how I would talk to my friend about it. I I, I would show I would show this to you in a way where I wouldn't even have to describe it. You could just draw the conclusion with your own eyes. And you'd say something like, look, this is not a joke. I'm not trying to make fun of you. Like, Just, yeah, like, the, what do you, what do you the, see happening here? That the people in the movie un, have seen time travel movies. That the people in the movie are nerds who have all the same context that we have. And, you know, a lot of us is getting off on seeing people like us up on the screen, right? Uh, and and saying, yeah, that's how I would re- I can identify with this. That's how I would react in that scenario. Finally, <laughs> finally, someone tells my story, uh, my fantasy scenario story of uh, time machines out of... Uh, pipes and plastic and having to go sit in the motel room and wait <laughs> it's so great this episode of reconcilable differences is brought to you in part by hover quite simply hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names it's the best place out there for buying a new domain name and it's easily my favorite place for doing stuff with that domain once it's yours Hover provides a simple, fast, hassle-free method of buying domain names. You don't want to be faced with a thousand screens and a ton of add-ons and weird high prices. Registering a domain at some of these places feels like nothing short of running a costly and confusing gauntlet. You are not going to get that with Hover. You just go up and enter the phrase you want or some keywords, and Hover will find the best matches for you and show you the list of all the top-level domains that are available. Hover have all the TLDs you'd expect, like .com, .co, and .me. But they also have all the crazy new TLDs like .plumbing, .sexy, and .coffee, too, if that floats your boat. Hover have recently lowered the prices on pretty much all of the 200-plus options that they have. For example, .com domains are now just $12.99. That's nuts. And remember, that low price you pay for a domain at Hover still includes free Whois privacy for any of the domains that allow it. Hover believe you shouldn't have to pay to keep your private information private, unlike a lot of registrars. Hover also has fantastic customer support. They have a no-hold, no-wait, no-transfer telephone support policy. 
So when you call Hover, you'll be talking to an actual human being. Hover Support is a bona fide robot-free zone. They also have lots of documents and stuff online if you happen to like robots. So much more great stuff in here. You can get volume discounts for bulk domain renewals, custom email addresses, storage and forwarding, so much great stuff. So if you're in the market for some sweet new domains or you're ready to move your current domains to a place that treats you like an adult, please try Hover. You can get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for our program by going to Hover.com and using the special offer code CORRECTIONS at checkout. That's CORRECTIONS. Please give Hover a try. They really are the best. Our thanks to Hover for making pretty much everything about domain names a breeze and for supporting reconcilable differences. Well, um, so Fury Road, I mean, where do you begin? I mean, uh, you know, it's just, again, so much of the stuff that they didn't do. You know, you just look at, what's her name, Furiosa? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like there's like 30 things about her that I find endlessly fascinating. And I at just you hold your breath till the end, hoping that they don't explain any more than they need to. And I'm, I'm so glad they didn't. Yeah, that's, that's the other thing. When I, when I was hearing all the reviews of the movie and everything, like that there was like a message movie and it was making a statement about women. And it was like, nope, Mm-mm. nope, not. It is it's no time. No time. We've got to drive. Right, like, right, right. There's no time to make a statement. Like, this is the movie, folks. The movie's coming at your head. If you think this is a big statement about women, or if it was like, this is the world. This is the movie. These are the characters. This is how they interact. This is what happens. If you think there's a grand message, you're probably missing the movie. The movie <laughs> is go, go, go. Like, and, you know, in, in some respects, like, I, I can see the, the arguments over the movie of like, uh, you know, are, are certain women in the movie shot with, with the male gaze in mind? Is this some kind of empowerment thing? Like, I think this movie uh, sidesteps all of that in the best possible way by just being true to itself and saying, this movie is what it is. It's got bad stuff. It's got good stuff. It's pro- got progressive stuff. It's got regressive stuff. And it gets away with the thing that so many movies try to get away with. Be like, well, this is just how it is in my world. Uh, it just so happens that whenever a woman walks on the screen in my world, the camera lingers on her boobs. That's just the way it is in my world. I can't help it. I didn't make up this world or whatever. Like, it gets away with that because it's like, again, the movie is not trying to sell you on any worldview. Right. It is merely it is merely showing you this. Like in some respects, it's simple and lesser because it's like, oh, so what? This is just a visceral experience. Like, yes, this is. This is just, quote-unquote, a visceral experience. And a bunch of crap happens, and you don't know what the hell to make of it, and you can barely even tell who the good guys and who the bad guys are half the time, and what makes them good and what makes them bad, and like you don't even, you don't even have time to think about it. And again, maybe people would view that as like, well, that's just a waste of my time. I want something that's a story. I want to engage with things. I want to have characters that I can identify with that that I, I feel like are good people and deserve to have good things happen to them. I want to see justice. I want to see the good people win and the bad people lose in you want to You want to see people who are trying hard for a better cause overcome. Yeah, and I want to know what their cause is. I want, you know, right. it's just, and it's like, it's not in in the way that if you just happened upon some thing going on somewhere in the world and looked at it for two hours and moved away, you have no idea what the hell just happened there or who is, you don't have time. Like, it, it is so unlike a movie. It is so much more like just sort of it's like you said like a dream where the the feelings uh of of watching it the sort of moment to moment experience and the emotions are so much more important than everything else in the movie right and you know i feel like i, I i'm walking this weird line because i i feel like when we talked about inside out on the incomparable you were doing something slightly similar with saying like 
toward the end of the episode, you were saying basically, you know, hey, first of all, it's great that Pixar has finally made this movie that has this girl lead. But maybe even the greater thing than that is it's not a big deal. It's, I mean, you almost don't want to talk about it because even talking about it, you feel like you're crushing the bunny a little bit. But like, I feel like in this movie, I have to, there's certain things I feel like I, I, I have to point out in terms of not just being a nice thing in terms of like seeing society and its representations become more interesting, but also in like, it's critical to the story. It's critical to the story that we just get that Furiosa is a respected leader and nobody calls her Madam Captain, and there's never any need to like explain like how she got where she was. We just take it that she's incredibly competent, and people trust her because she's great at her job. So like that guy with the crooked grin who keeps running onto the truck and talking through the window, we just get that he he serves at her pleasure and like he wants to please her, right? There's just I feel like there's just like at least half a dozen things just in that in that one regard to her character that like you, I just kept holding my breath waiting for it to go you know, go uh, pear-shaped. And instead, it, it just kept getting richer. And she still got to have emotions and still got to be a badass. And uh, I don't know. I just thought that was amazing. Yeah. The interesting thing with Fury Road and all of the sort of media and think pieces surrounding it is that people wanted to people wanted to pin it down as being for or against something. But like the, the best way that it can be, and the only way that it can be for the, the movie it's supposed to be, is matter of fact. This is the movie. And like again, this comes up in video games a lot too. It's like, well... It would be unrealistic to have a video game world in which women are not subjugated and called bitch all the time. Right. Right. That would be unrealistic. And, you know, uh, it would be unrealistic to have to have a video game where everyone isn't white because our game takes place in Poland. So everyone is supposed to be that's white. Just, like, that's you, just you, the world. It's got to be You that can way. come up with all sorts of explanations of, like, right. why it has to be the way it is. Like, it's sort of like it's total self, you know no self-awareness that like you are bringing things from yourself into this world that you're making up whereas in this world you know you know she's respecting everything when she's betrayed uh, uh once they realize that she has betrayed them the regular action movie thing to do is immediately the latent misogyny of all the enemy characters come out uh, and I, if it happened in this movie i didn't notice it but it's always in every other movie it's like as soon as you know before i was giving you respect but the second you step out of line it's like you bitch! I'm gonna get you. Well, I'm it's gonna, basically like, now just, we we start the the countdown to implicit rape. Yeah, exactly. It's like this was always under the surface, and we were willing to give you a pass for unknown reasons. But the second anything happens, you go right back in your place. Yep. And that wasn't you know in this movie any more than it was for any other character. You know the sort of disregard for human life and the worth of human life in this in this world and the whole blood bag thing or whatever. Like everyone got it pretty much equally and. Having is that a conscious choice? Are they trying to make a message, or did these filmmakers simply not bring to this movie, you know, like uh, you know, the cave? Remember your failure in the cave. What's in there? Only what you take with you, right? They managed not to bring a bunch of crap with them into their world, allowing the world to just be what it is, which is right. nonsensical, ridiculous, insane, with good and bad things all over the place. None of which is there to try to preach to you about anything, but all of which, by its existence, as something different than the world we live in, speaks to the fact that the world can be different, that, there, that, that it doesn't always have to be the way things are. Let me give you a, uh, a treatment here. <clears throat> Here's the treatment. <clears throat> we, 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 uh, we fade in on, on a, a woman's room. It's, uh, it's slightly feminine, but oddly practical. We move in to the dresser where we see a photo of a beautiful woman and a man together. We pan slightly to the right and we see the hospital bracelet from a left hand. We pan left to a beautiful woman laying in bed. She has an amputated left arm. 
right? So any other movie would try to come up with some incredibly cheesy way to frame what's going on with her. But no, you think about the scene when we first hear her, I guess I think it's when she gets out of the truck, she walks around, and she starts walking. We see her from the back as she's walking away. There's no zoom in on her arm. There's no explanation of the mechanics about how it works. Do you know what I'm saying? There's, there's nothing about it to highlight that this thing is even a thing, let alone to like try and like make us more comfortable with why it's that way and how it will feed into her certain revenge. It's it doesn't like, make her special because everybody in this world has crap like that. <laughs> and like, when they're doing it's, the it's, whole it's, like water ceremony and everybody's amputated. No, they you know with the, the guys guy, clanging hands together, the, <laughs> the gun guys with the nipple piercings and the outfits and the masks and the hoods. Everybody's got crap like that. Why wouldn't she have it? Like it blends in so well that like you don't even you know until after after I saw the movie until I read all the think pieces from the people like finally seeing amputee represented in movies. It didn't even occur to me that this was uh, the representation of an amputee in a movie. Obviously, it was like you know, but just like everyone in this world had crap wrong with them, this was her, uh, and she got off pretty easy. She was looked pretty much whole compared to the messes that these other people were. With right. The war boys and they're all their lumps uh, and all the, the other characters. Boys. It just yeah. looked like everyone was all screwed up, and so it totally fit with the world. Uh, and that's that's the way this thing has to be. It's not like. Everyone else is normal, but you're different or special, and we have to highlight this. And like you said, with the big zoom in on it, and right. and having every fight scene involve that handicap in some way, you know, it's right. like ha- what handicap? What are you even talking about? She, she's, she's doing just a fine. bunch of crazy people fighting each other, and they all have crap wrong with them. But it, it gives me such hope because you think about on the one on the left side, you say like, well, there's this whole legacy of films where let's just say there's a class of people, or let's just a whole bunch of people, say women or people with disabilities, who are just are treated pretty badly. You move a little bit right of that, and you start moving into um, maybe everybody is still mostly treated like that, but one of the people gets to be a hero and give a speech. You move a little bit further to the right, and now that person gets to be a badass. But it's still like a world of people who are mostly that other way. And it's like, that's why, I mean, again, I'm a privileged white guy. I just, but watching this from the outside, I had to do some fist bumps. But for how many things in this movie did not need anything like a speech to explain it? It was just it was just there, as you say, it was on the screen. But like it felt like a move forward because nobody had to mention that it was a move forward. There was no announcement that had to be made. There's no bracketing. There was no you know um, tight shot to kind of explain why this is how it is. Like you say, <laughs> you you nailed it. Really, we don't have time for that. We have got to get this truck moving. Yeah, and even the things that like. That could have, you know, that are staples of movies that could have been melodramatic. Like again, to- total spoilers for this movie. Please watch it. Stop listening to us. Uh, when the uh, the pregnant wife, at various times, using her body to shield things or whatever, her untimely end is like, you serious? The pregnant woman doesn't live to them. No, she doesn't. Something bad happened to her on the road. Yeah. <laughs> no time to discuss. Got to keep going. You know, <laughs> like no movie. And it's a big dramatic slow motion scene, and we have to dwell on her, and everybody cries about it. It's like just you know, I mean, it's not like they they gloss over it. It, it happens. It's upsetting or whatever. But like the the rules, the normal rules of Hollywood movies that make you feel comfortable with how things are going to go down don't apply because it's just like this is this calamity that's happening and this people doing this thing. It's not even an adventure. Like you don't even say it's people on an adventure. They're not on an adventure. This is their life. This is just what's happening. Right. <laughs> this is what happened during this time. And one of the things that happens is she dies. Uh, and yeah, even though she did all those things earlier, the grisly delivery. <laughs> 
Yeah, and like they. Oh, yeah, this, is, <laughs> this is what these people. This is what, like seriously. Oh, you're disrespecting. Like that's what they would do. This is what you know. The world they're in, it, it washes away a lot of the stuff. You know, when you're in this sort of post-apocalyptic thing, very few movies have, or television shows, or anything have the guts to do this, except for maybe like the novel The Road to say like, <laughs> this is this is how this is. You know, this is a realistic depiction of this scenario. The rules change in ways that make everyone not accustomed to those rules very uncomfortable and it seems alien and it seems like and you know again with the, the gilliam hyper real aspect to this that is even more off the rails like this entire thing is just like a fever dream uh but you know you can imagine <laughs> this is what also what their life is like in whatever the hell messed but, up world this is supposed to be but you talk about you know the the blue sky on mars or, or whatever um and how like you know if you're you know you'd have to be you'd almost have to be a little bit uncareful today to to notice that not or to not notice that i mean Let's guys, let's go back to the way the movie begins. I've seen this probably four and a half or five times now. And um it begins with the just basically the framing device of him saying, Hey, I'm I'm Mad Max, and like the only thing that matters to anyone in this world is one thing survival. It's like it's just I've never heard a clearer thesis statement for a movie than understand that every horrible thing that you're every weird thing, every sweet thing, everything you're about to see is survival on some level. Yes, it is the survival of somebody who wants to stay alive. It's the survival of somebody who wants to see the species stay alive. It's the survival of somebody who wants their power to stay alive. Every single person in this movie will do almost anything to survive. Here's the movie. Yeah, that, when it started off and they had that scene, I was like, "Oh, this is not a very auspicious beginning." Because the scene, the beginning scene of the lizard, was the lizard <laughs> yeah. and, and the car. That is like a Hollywood thing. But then, pretty much after that, nothing is the way you think it is. And oh, like totally. as you as you're, he's going through his all, you know, being captured, doing all stuff. You're like, so. I guess he triumphantly escapes. No, no. Uh, I guess then. All right. There's this person in the truck. Does this tie in? Do they know? It's like just, just forget. Just, just forget trying to stay out ahead of this movie because it's just going to do what it's going to do, and you are just going to let it, you know, uh, absorb it as it comes off the screen into your eyeballs and ear holes. Can I uh, begin the third act with something rather controversial? Sure. <laughs> this is the only Mad Max movie I've ever seen. No, that's fine because so I that's like, his daughter. Is that his daughter that he's seeing? Uh, I've seen the, the the original Mad Max. I saw so long ago that I remember almost nothing about it. And by looking at clips online, I think it is a movie that I would not enjoy seeing. I, I watched I watched the first twenty minutes of it, and it's a thrill ride. It's a ridiculous low budget Australian thrill ride. But I, I guess I I didn't get up to where he stops being a cop. It's kind of like the Dukes of Hazard in Australia. Yeah, I mean it's a little bit silly, like like movies were back then. Thunderdome is silly in the movie, uh, the way movies were when Tina Turner was a viable movie star. That it's very campy. It has some pretensions to be interesting and sort of like dramatic, but it's really just, I mean, you know, I remember mostly what happened in in Beyond Thunderdome, but. I'm pretty sure that nothing in this movie connects back to the previous ones. Well, who's the girl? Oh, who's the girl that he keeps hallucinating? I don't think we know. I don't think that has anything to do with the previous movie, except, like, the previous movie did involve children, uh, and he was more or less, you know, it was Mel Gibson, uh, more or less heroic and saved the day and helped. But, like, there, none of these flashbacks are flashing back to a thing that, as far as I know, was seen in any earlier Mad Max movie, which is just perfect. Like, getting back to, like, you don't need to know what he's upset about. Like, he's right. upset about this. This is how it makes him feel. He's having trouble. He has intrusive thoughts and hallucinations, and he's probably half near death anyway. This is his experience of being him and trying to survive at this point. 
there is no point where you need to know the backstory of exactly what happened to him with this girl who did he fail or whatever you just got to know that he's losing it and you're like you see what he's going through and you're like yeah i'd be losing it too like it right. seems appropriate that he's losing it uh and it's the it's the battle of like are you going to lose it you're just going to die or you're going to survive and maybe the only through line is if you'd seen the previous mo- two movies and you believe this is the same character it's like well if he's been through those two movies he really is at the end of his rope he's obviously a survivor otherwise he wouldn't have made it those through those two movies but he seems to be reaching his limits here but i'm perfectly happy to entirely disconnect this from the two other movies that i had seen so long ago that i can barely remember anything about um i forget oh was this on incomparable someone said this but somebody said that this takes place that the movies don't take place in any particular continuity except for the first one is that true have you heard this I I read a little bit about it because I did the same thing, like Googling where's the girl come from or whatever, but I didn't delve into it too deeply. I got too lost in the production details of the of uh, Fury Road. And I'm not really interested in connecting these movies back up. If they do it's connect, like why, why, I don't care. <laughs> it's almost like, why would you? It's, it's, it's the George Lucas problem, let's be honest, where like, the more you describe the character I'm calling Hammerhead, the less interesting he becomes. The more that I learn his name, and like what what goofy planet full of vowels he's from? Like the less interesting that his like what one one second on camera means to me. You know what I mean? Well, the, the more importantly, this movie, the, the tone and style of this movie is so out of step with the other two movies. The, all three movies are so very different. Like you start watching the first one, that reads like a a seventies biker low budget movie, kind of like silly you know and then the tina turner one i guess that was the 80s and you know and mel gibson and and tina turner and a higher budget over that reads like uh you know view to a kill uh roger moore era indiana jones mixed in like not really as good as any of those kind of like well whatever 80s thing and this is a a third thing and so i see no connection like it's it's the fourth right you got, uh, you got, you got, you got, um, yeah, Mad Max, uh, Road Warrior, uh, right. yeah. I'm lumping Mad Max and Road Warrior. Basically, I mean, Mad Max may be a little bit higher caliber than the, the Road Warrior. I don't know. Like, they, they end up being so different in genre that it might as well be, like, loosely based on the character Mad Max as invented by Blah. That, that might right, as but well like, be. But, like, I have no interest in learning any more about it. Like, I might want to go look for, like, cool fan art of Furiosa, but, like, I don't find myself wanting to learn more about the story. There, I have a... Right now, on, on my Plex, I have a video queued up that's supposedly this, this really good... Uh, a segment with the the cinematographer talking about the making of the movie, like a half hour like mini film, like that. I'm super interested in, but like, there's nothing. I mean, I'm having a very anti Lucasy kind of reaction to this, where I'm like, no, no, stop it, don't tell me anymore. Like that movie was exactly fine how it was. Yeah, there's no lore that you need. It's not like Lord of the Rings. I don't, Rings, mean, I don't, need like Star I don't Wars, want an extended like, universe. I, I, yeah. I think the the background stuff does add to certain world building things, like where you want like a, it, it's a it's a big world all weaved together, and you think there are other stories you can tell in the world. So I think it does work for Star Wars in, in many respects. Yeah. Maybe Sure. Not the prequels in particular, but Lord of the Rings is an even better example where it's just such a, a huge, rich world that you can imagine all sorts of stories involving all sorts of characters that could take place here. And you do want to know all the different histories of the of the different families and the races and the and the the monsters and the wizards and the history of the earth and uh, and what came before and what's coming like because that makes for a richer universe in which to, to still tell stories. in. But that's Fury Road is not that Fury Road is this thing that happens and you're not interested in at, at no point are you like, so is the world going to be okay? doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't like how did this happen? Also doesn't matter. 
Right. Now that's that. In fact, like the less I know about that, the more I'm excited about what made it on the screen. And in, in terms of what made it on the screen, can we talk a little bit about like production design? Sure. Like just you know, I, I, the first I feel like the first um, I don't know if this is deliberate. Like the first 15 minutes of the movie, I don't know how to describe this. It reminds me so favorably of other action sci-fi and fantasy films that I love, where it like hit this familiar note without copying it. But it, it called up the spirit of, of a bunch of things that I've really enjoyed. Where I feel like, you know, if you were that kind of, if you were like, what's the guy's name? Tony Zhu? What's the guy's Tony Shao? What's his name? Like, you could go through and do a shot-by-shot comparison of saying like, okay, the scene where he's hanging there and they're getting blood out of him is kind of a little bit like The Matrix. This scene, I mean, like, just the weird thing of like the people walking up the water wheel. Like, what a great touch that is. <laughs> You know what yeah. I mean? Very, very uh, time bandits. Time bandits, but also that that particular one shot in there that looks a lot like Metropolis when when the people are trying to make the you know hands on the clock go around. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very Terry Gilliam, and um, but like when uh, what's the what's the bad guy's name? The guy with the skull uh, mask. Immortan Joe. Yeah, <laughs> Daddy is that his name? Mm-hmm. When uh, when they're putting on his armor, like how great was that? <laughs> the best thing about the, like the armor is like. It's not really armor. This is like it, it, the ridiculousness of everything that everyone is doing in this movie. It is a ridiculousness that is no more or less ridiculous than what we do with fashion, but it is so different than what we do that it's like he's like he's got the, the clear thing with the little medals and badges yeah. and the little decorations. Like it all, it all fits together within this universe. Everything I, I got, I got makes the feeling sense. that was all pure vanity. There's like, for example, like it's kind of weird in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. When the blue guy, when Lee Pace is getting all dressed up and they're putting dust on him and stuff, and you're like, mm-hmm. why, what is this? What, what, what are they doing? Why are they throwing dust on him? And I, I'm still not sure why. I think it's mostly decoration, but it's part of some kind of an elaborate ceremony that makes him feel fancy. But with this guy, like, I get the feeling he reminds me so much of, like, I want to say a cross between, like, Baron Harkunin and Darth Vader in some ways, right? Because he's got to get his exoske- exoskeleton game on to feel like he's ready. He's got to have all of his stuff, and like <laughs> the medals are so perfect because he's he's an old he's an old crazy old man. Like right, like this is the thing. Just those are just things that he found. Those were not awarded to him. So obvious that he just found them and said, "Well, these are decoration things right. that show that you are important." So I'm going to put a bunch of these all over me because I'm super important. And he's preposterous. I mean, he's not like a, a, he doesn't feel like. I guess he's dangerous in his way because he runs the War Boys, but he's he's he seems really ineffectual in some ways, like a kick in his slippers kind of guy. His his priorities make no sense. Like he is not trying to take over the world or whatever. He just wants his wives, and he wants to try to produce healthy children for his own vanity's sake. And everything is about him, and that is that is the situation he has set up for himself. There is no grander plan. He is not fighting for the, the you know the rulership. Of- no, he doesn't. He doesn't want to see the rulership or the destruction of anything. He seems like a guy who would be on the phone with the VA for forty five minutes because he didn't like the second. Secretary. Like, put me into put me into my clear case, you know? But I, I just there's something and then when they put on the little breath thing, that was so dune to me. There was something so wonderfully dune about that. Yeah, and like what's wrong with him? Why does he need that thing? Well, it doesn't matter. No time. Doesn't matter. Just, whatever. Gotta go, it's gotta go. move the truck. Gotta get up. We gotta go get his wives back. That he's really mad. Those are the really important things to him. Like and and his needs and the the motivations of everyone involved are so basic and so like you understand like you know, Furiosa actually has the the more sophisticated, the most sophisticated motive of the entire movie. Is at least hers is like vaguely altruistic and with some sort of plan 
like some sort of she's the only one who has an inkling of like a hollywood plan of like what we're gonna do is we're gonna go to this place and like you know how do we escape this hellish world right you don't you, you're not going to this is it like and she tries to and she gets there and goes all right never mind it seems like she she knows that it's probably a suicide mission and that like she's not even sure where she's going to end up going and all the brides if i understood correctly the brides it wasn't like she said oh i'm going to save you the brides were like take us with you right yeah well i mean she's she's doing it because she feels like they shouldn't be treated the way they're being treated but like you know she's trying she's trying to go back to the place where she came from where she thinks things are better and that place doesn't exist anymore nope but she eventually finds out she has hope and the hope is basically destroyed uh because there is no hope and like that was sort of the cheat of the movie and the brilliance of the movies and they go they go they get there and find out actually never mind it's not there anymore where you are is that place and now it's gone with the people on the stilts man like so gilliam anyway yeah and then it's like well where do you go from here it's like we're gonna turn around and go back <laughs> like didn't we just do that yeah we're no we're going back now this is the only place to <laughs> go you can't go that way they'll never it's see that, that coming <laughs> gonna go gonna back that way and it's like it's just do you think most... she believed the green place was real it was real. Like, she came from there. It's, it's just, just not there, there anymore. anymore. Yeah. Right. I mean, she met the people who, who left and the people who were there. They remembered her. It's like, yeah, no, this is this is how many of us are left. Oh, I love and this, this is the life. I love this them. This is the life we live now. Most of the people who you knew are gone. All that's left is us, and there is no green place. And there used to be. You're not imagining things, but uh, things are crappy here. And so, yeah, just you, you, the only option available to you is to head back the other way. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Start building your Squarespace website today by visiting squarespace.com and use our offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, to get 10% off your first purchase. When it comes to finding yourself a place online, there's nowhere better than Squarespace, guys. They put all the power you need into your hands, take away the pain points, like worrying about hosting, scaling up, or what to do if you get stuck on something. They can help you with any of that. Guys, I have been a huge fan and evangelist of Squarespace for over five years now. It's not only the place that I use for hosting many of my sites and, yes, podcasts. It's also the first place I recommend for anyone wanting to do the same. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level because there is no coding required. They have intuitive, easy-to-use tools. You can make your website look and feel exactly how you want. Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology to power your site. That ensures security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people and some of the most respected companies in the world. And their site templates are just stunning to look at. They all feature responsive design, so they look great on any device. That's just getting started. Squarespace has tons more features, 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. They have a Squarespace commerce platform, so you can sell stuff right off your very own site. And an amazing cover page functionality. It builds great-looking single-page websites. It's all rock-solid, fast hosting, so much more. The nutty part is Squarespace plans start at a very affordable $8 per month. And that price even includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year, which you totally should do. Please check these folks out and do tell your friends about it. You can start your free trial today, no credit card required, by visiting squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for your Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S. That will get you 10% off of your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences. Squarespace, build it beautiful. And, you know, hats off to... Well, I want to say to Tom Hardy. I don't know how much of this was, how much he was shaped by any variety of other people on the crew, but hats off to his performance because we'll talk about a high level of difficulty. Like, 
everybody in that movie, I mean, the two main, you know, heroic uh, protagonist characters, they, again, a thousand things they didn't do. They didn't have like a blood oath. They didn't fall in love. They didn't have to decide who was going to be leading what when. And at the point when he hands her the rifle, because she's a better shot, you're like, yeah, this, you're right. That's, this is the way, because you know, you know why survival. And, and the, the most embarrassing thing is the fact that his name is in the title. Like, that is the, the most Hollywood conceit of this entire movie is, right, like, to right. get it made and to get people into theater, guess he, his name's got to be in the title. His name should not be in the title. He's, the co- he's, he's a brilliant co-star, and he does a fantastic job, but he's the co-star. And we follow him, the, like, you, you meet him in the beginning, you follow him, like, he is, he is your, he's where we begin the movie. He's our way like, in, there's, yeah. there's all this sort of, like, kind of window dressing to excuse the fact that his name is in the title, but he's not the main character of this movie, he's not the most important character, he's in a supporting role in this weird, awkward, like, why do we follow the supporting character? Like, movies don't do that, like, it, it, it this had to find its way into, from the sort of conventional looking beginning, find its way into the actual movie, which is like, forget about that, like... He's here. He's important. He's a character. There are interactions. Like, eventually he will start to drive the plot in the way that makes sense for his character from the other movies, kind of. But, you know, that's not that's not what this but movie like, is about. But, like, you know, he's he's in the... He's almost in a different movie for the pulse-pounding first mini, first however many minutes, 10 or 15 minutes. Fantastic way to start a movie. Totally great. It's all, all obviously his movie. But then when they, once they, I guess, recapture him, if I'm remembering this right, they cut to her in the cab of the truck, right? Yeah, and then then it's all she is the one that drives the action. That's what movie, I'm saying. She's it's, the one who wants to go somewhere, and she's and then he, you know he helps convince her to turn back. But like at that point, what are they? It's a different movie, and he's the co-star, <laughs> right? And he comes in to say like he. This is the other thing, only other thing that's tied to the movie. He can basically say like, "Don't go that way. There's nothing that way. Trust me. I've I've been that way. I've known people who've gone that way. There is nothing that way. The only option is to go back and." Uh, and we know that he knows that because we've seen the other movies that he's, you know, presumably he's traveled far and wide and he's learned that, like, going that way, you know, the only option is to go back. And, uh, you know, and he's a survivor and she believes it and they do go back. And uh, and, it, and it makes sense, logically speaking, like, either we're all going to die trying to do this or we'll go back to that place that at least had, like, water and green crap and it wasn't that bad, right? And there's a bunch of people being mistreated. Presumably we could treat them better than they're being treated now. I guess, but like, bottom line is, what are our options? No green place here. Right. They had water there. We're going back there. Right. And then, you know, to have it wrap up with a very well-earned, like, glance, right? I mean, the kind of like, the typical, like, you'd expect normally the whole, like, Errol Flynn, like, tip of the hat thing at the end to go like, ha-ha, my colleague, we have, we have served well in these adventures together. They, like, have a look, and then they're gone, and that's it. Yeah, and he's not, he fades off into the crowd because that's not what he's that's not what he's looking for you know and she she has larger ambitions and she has hope and if anyone's going to make anything of this whole thing it's her he doesn't have to be involved in that he's off mm, it's a hell of a thing yeah i still think this movie is is not a movie for everybody i think people are either going to uh really appreciate it or just think it's a bunch of noise and be like mm. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Terry Gilliam because I've actually been thinking about Terry Gilliam a lot. We he came up on um, Roderick on the Line uh, recently when we were talking about Brazil, which is just one of my favorite movies. <clears throat> and I was thinking about like his role in Jupiter Ascending. So have you still not seen it? Still haven't. Okay. Um, then I won't say anything about that. But you know, I think 
I think he's one of those, gosh, what is he? He's like a Jack Kirby. He's an Irving Berlin. Like he's had, he's had an impact on the people who make an impact. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that the, the, he is such a, like somebody like maybe Jodorowsky, like he's such a pure artist in some ways. Like, I'm so glad I'm not his agent, Terry Gilliam's agent, but like, I'm so, I'm still so delighted by the, the unique vision. I mean, all the way back to the beginning of Meaning of Life. Right where the two where the buildings are, there's the pirate building going around. Do you remember that? You ever seen the Meaning of Life? A long, long time ago. There's a, like a kind of a fake short subject that starts the movie, and it involves this uh, firm, this building full of like uh, an investment bank or something being taken over and turned into a pirate ship that can, then drives through London. Taking it's completely whimsical, and like all of his stuff, like eventually in, in all of his movies, there's going to eventually be some like. Not a flight of fancy, but like almost like a fugue state that's going to involve like flags and ships and craziness and giant <laughs> monsters and banners. You know, like that seems to be like part of his constant fever vision is this this world of like in- inescapable giant forces as portrayed in this kind of swashbuckling way. You know what I mean? And I, I, it's been huge. I think it's been hugely influential, if not on the exact audience. I think there are a lot of filmmakers that can look to that and go like, wow, this guy's really he's got a vision of the world. Yeah, and it, like all the movies that he's made that that I can remember that I've seen anyway, like there is a through line and a sensibility to them. But he's so dedicated to that sensibility in the same way that Fury Road is that if it goes wrong, he follows it through to the fullness of its wrongness. Yeah, uh, and other people, you know, like, you know, he's influencing the influencers. Like by the time it's third degree uh, indirect influence. You see touches of it, but it's never right. going to be that pure thing. And that pure thing is can either be a giant mess or it can be a delight or sometimes both. And if they're um, more practical, they're going to fight over things that are more core to getting the movie made and saying, well, you know, if we don't have the budget to have a giant robot, you know, fight involving flags and a man with wings, like, okay, we'll just leave that out. Yeah. Or why is that even there? And, and it's like, you know, no, it's, it's super important. That has to say why just like, don't, I don't need to discuss this. Right. This is the movie I'm making. Just, just like and that's the amazing thing about Fury Road that like that this movie got made in this way without saying well because you could turn this conventional in so many different ways and you it, could probably you know, slash the budget by two thirds by doing some stuff really stupidly and like in a really kind of boring way but isn't part of what they did uh, I don't know if you've got a good link on this but supposedly a lot of this is practical effects like Cirque du Soleil performers and, that was that was another part of the hype it was like yeah. oh the reason this is so great is because they make everything for real and uh, part of that there's I don't know if I buy like, that so, some, someone built all these crazy cars like you can see them in the movie like they're someone built these ridiculous jacked up giant monster car things they have wheels they roll I don't they think have those engines. explosions are so many practical effects do you? Well, so when watching the movie, like, uh, before reading all the think pieces uh, about it and all the making of things, uh, one thing I could definitely tell, which was confirmed when after I saw the movie, looked up everything, is that they, for, I I assume for budgetary reasons, they do a lot of cheats where a tremendous amount of things that are happening on the vehicles are happening on vehicles that are not moving. That was so clear, you could tell just from the lack of wind, right? Because, because you can't do these kind of stunts on moving vehicles. It's just too dangerous, and the car and the cameras shake too much. So a lot of the things that are happening on the vehicles, the vehicle is not moving, which is fine. Like you got to do what you got to do. They're you know they're on the actual vehicles, but the vehicles aren't going anywhere. And then I saw the making of, and the amount of CG in this movie is unbelievable. 
not only are the vehicles not moving, you're like, okay, well, the vehicle's not moving when they have the close-up of, like, they're fighting on the back of the tanker truck and they're punching each other or whatever. It's so clear that if the vehicle was moving, it would be jostling around more, there would be more wind, so I can tell that, right, that's the close-up shot. Right. When they pull back and everything, the vehicles aren't moving there either. They move the wheels with the computers. Like, 60% of this movie, the vehicles are, when they show wheels turning on the vehicles, the, the computer guys are turning the wheels, are making the vehicles look like what? forget about forget about the explosions, forget about all those. Well, and, like, and like the tracking cameras, I mean, like a pretty classic. If, if we people talk about their love of practical effects, if you want to see practical effects, if you want to see real explosions, go straight back to Goodfellas. Like when it cuts to a medium to long shot, and there's a bright bright red explosion, that's probably a real explosion with with a static camera. But I'm just here to say, like, if you've got a moving a, a moving camera while things are exploding and spinning in space, there's a pretty good chance there's some CGI there. Yeah, and they did blow a lot of stuff up for this movie, but they blew it up and then filmed it and blew it up and filmed it, and then they just composited that together into the final shot where it looks like this 800 cars around the thing that's blowing up, and really it blew wow. up and they filmed it from 17 angles. But, like, the the, the real, like, huge amount of CG on these, like, again, actual vehicles that they really built, that they shoot on, but it's so hard. I mean, you, I think I know the making of thing that you're looking at. It's apparently so hard to just get decent lighting in this. And like one of the things they're talking about is like when they're filming it, wherever they're filming it on location, they're trying to do, you know, set up this rig on this camera to film this thing here. And again, vehicles that are stationary, it's like, don't worry, we'll move them in post. It'll look like they're moving in post. It's fine. Uh, well, okay, we shot this in the morning. When yeah, it was they, shot, they shot day for night and, to get the, and, and uh, then, the nighttime scenes. Oh, yeah, like that. Then that was just a budgetary thing. But even just like a, a scene that's in the daytime. Well, we shot this this angle when the sky was like pale gray, and this one when it's bright blue, and this one when it's at noon. And like, it's like, well, don't you have to match the skies? Otherwise, it's going to look like the time of day is changing. And the answer was, don't worry about it. Like, just, you know, it is not important to the movie. They'll fix it and post as best they can. No one is going to notice that these seven shots are shot clearly on different days at different times of day, even though they're all during the day. Uh, and in practice, you don't notice because it is not important. As the long as you like moving. present it consistently, it's not. It's not going to be a problem. Yeah, like just the type of thing. Like they just had, you know, they have to do what they have to do to get the movie made. And so many compromises and so many things they they did. Like it's a testament to the power of CG that they could, you know, and this is talking about the making of that. Uh, this director had enough experience with CG to know what was possible and to know what not to worry about. To down to the point, like, would you have the guts to make a movie that's all about cars driving and then 60% of the time have the wheels not moving when you're showing the wheels? And it's like, don't worry, in, in post, they'll spin the wheels. Like, what are you, that'll look terrible. Nope, nobody notices. It's fine. We have, we have the technology now. Such a leap forward from, like, you know, our family's really into the Harry Potter movies, and so we've watched a ton of those, like pretty much every behind-the-scenes thing on Harry Potter movies. We've seen them all. And, like, you just get that there's an extensive amount of... It's almost like Ray Harryhausen all over again. Even with CGI, like, just to get Voldemort's face to look a certain way, that's still, amount, like, a huge amount of work, you know, five years ago. And it sounds like what you're describing now is it's more like color forms. Like, if you're careful in how you shoot this, you can composite it any well, way you need to. They were they were smart in, like... Real vehicles, real people wearing real costumes with real faces, like all that stuff, the stuff that's going to be in the close-ups and everything, like it's all real. People are dressed up in those outfits. There's no CGI stormtroopers. There's no Voldemort's face because all the people's faces are real. They put actual makeup on the people's faces. They put actual dirt all over them. They have actual big metal trucks and crap, right? 
And then they can say, all right, well, the fact that the trucks aren't moving, we'll fix that in post. The fact that we can't actually have this explosion happen with 50 other cars around it, we'll film seven explosions from 10 different angles, put it all together in post. The big guys on the sticks, yeah, they're going to be real actual guys on sticks. (laughs) But we're going to composite them into the seven other shots to make it look like there's seven guys in sticks coming down on this one thing. When there wasn't, there was just seven different guys that we filmed separately. Like, they did so much stuff practically, but this is entirely a CG creation. Like, the, the amount of CG in this movie is incredible and they used it in the places where you're not going to notice the cg backgrounds skies uh you know mountains that the big overpass with the little arch that they blow up right not there you're like, kidding you know just you have to look at the making of like the locations you're like that's just, not the location the, the two movie. hour making of with i'm seeing one here called yeah fury road from acs victoria I think that's one of them. I watched it's a whole like two bunch hours of it. Long. You, you should watch. You should watch that one, and there may be a shorter one. Like a, again, they, they're so good at doing like background and rocks. You're never gonna know. Like you're like, oh, it's cool that they found this rocky valley to form to have this pivotal scene. No, they didn't. There is no rocky valley like that. Entirely a creation of inside, and you didn't notice it at all because you were looking at people's faces. You don't have time. We gotta people, get this truck moving. <laughs> yeah, and the people were really sweaty, and like even the continuity errors. Like she puts the oil, the grease on her face. Like how'd she get that? You know how hard it is to get get axle grease off your face. She would have to spend like an hour like with scrubbing cleansers from bra to try to like from 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 one scene to the next the amount of eye makeup on her face changes wildly doesn't matter yep like just what it's not important to like it's it's such amazing sort of guerrilla filmmaking of know exactly what you can skimp on that no one will notice it's a traditional movie making where like you realize what has to be a facade what what can you fake what's so far away from the camera back in the standard f days that it can be like literally a cardboard box and it will look convincing and what do you have to spend the money on and the answer is spend the money on making all these vehicles having actual sweaty actors wearing actual outfits with actual faces with actual dirt all over them everything else we can do in post yeah i feel like I, you know i've watched it a lot and i still haven't i haven't seen those seams I, even like i'm usually kind of that guy with continuity a little bit of like hmm that seemed kind of easy, like the way that went. But like, I, I I have not noticed. I don't think any of these things. Yeah, like the continuity area with the, with the the eye makeup. It doesn't matter for the plot of the movie. You don't care. Like it, whether you notice it or not, it is not important. It's not even you can convince yourself that time passed because it didn't. Like it's just you know the the, the concentrating so much on what is important to the movie, and that type of stuff is not important to this type of movie. And I'm assuming you've seen the the one with the centered uh, focus thing. What's that? Uh, they were trying to show how can you have these action scenes with all this with quick cutting and still make sense of where things are. But that's another thing people have talked about in this movie. It's like, oh, you can actually tell who's who's where and what, oh, like and depth, what's depth going of field? on. Uh, so, yeah. So the I, I don't know how much there is to this, but the, the little demo video they show is like, look, the, uh, the director's instructions to all the camera people was to put whatever is the focal point of the scene directly in the middle of the crosshairs of the camera so when you cut from angle to angle to angle to angle during a fight scene whatever is the most important thing is dead center of the frame every every single time i'm usually hypersensitive to stuff like that and the uh, the philosophy behind it uh, according to this little video thing is that every time they do a cut if you have to reorient where you're looking in the frame like oh previously it was the upper left third and now in this cut uh, you know, from this angle, dragging the guy, it's the lower right there. Every time you cut, if the person has to has to find the part in the frame where they're supposed to be looking again, that's Make a delay, and you can't cut. If you have every cut, let the person continue staring at the same spot on the screen and have the important thing, then you can go cut, 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 and the audience's eyes are not searching 
for the important thing to focus on in the frame, and you can uh, cut and faster so when it with slows, that. When it slows down or speeds up, you can also kind of follow it because you know you just keep looking at this one point. You get trained to always look at the one point. Yeah, and I don't think this is a thing that people notice. Like I, I certainly I noticed when I, when I was watching it, but and and really, it's not you know. Well, so like, isn't that the rule that everybody does? Like no, not at all. Not at all. Artful I I, framing, you you know, use the rule of thirds or, or lead your eye in a particular thing. Like, have you ever noticed how much thirds matter in Pixar movies? They have they do kinds of they do lots of like there's lots of things that involve like thirds of the screen like you know classic rule of thirds idea but there's some movies like I want to say maybe Wall-E maybe some of the Toy Story movies where they'll do like match cuts and dissolves that involve something at a, a one third or two thirds of the way onto the screen and it's it's almost like a signature yeah it's just basic composition yeah, and like exactly and so why would you abandon that ba- it's not like it's not like uh, the Mad Max movies or Wes Anderson all of a sudden where you can split the negative down the middle and and the the you know either half is it constitutes the entire it's film the, like, it's distorted the same on both sides <laughs> yeah this this is not that uh it is merely a tool to help uh fast cut action be coherent and not sort of like uh, not have you lose track of what's going on. I I, I put the link in the uh, show notes. <sighs> well, now I've got four hours of viewing tonight. I gotta see that. This one is only a minute and thirty five seconds long. Is it in the notes? Yep, already there. Hmm. Anything else on Mad Max? See the movie. It's good. Yeah. Or maybe you'll hate it, but you'll find out. Yep. And don't expect too much from it. Like it is going to be an experience. It's not that good. It's 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 fine. Yeah. It, it's going to be an experience, and you either enjoy that experience or not. But I'm not like Mad Max is not suddenly uh, fury road is not suddenly uh clawing up there with uh, uh goodfellas and empire strikes back to try to be in my top 10 movies but i'm certainly glad that i saw it really i'm kind of yeah, surprised no, because I, I i i demand more than an experience like i i would put this in the same category as gravity but better oh uh, god gravity <laughs> you're kidding Gravity was an experience oh movie, and it's like the story is slight or whatever, but I was brought on that ride during Gravity, and the ride went through, and it ended, and I'm not angry at the movie, and it's just fine. Fury Road is, Fury Road is much better than that, Here, obviously. <laughs> Where do I begin? Wow, here's me being that guy. I didn't get it. Like, I came out at the end of that, and I was like, I, I don't understand the hype at all. Like, I get, in terms of, like, how this was executed, you know, beautiful, great. But, like, it was it was so... It was so ham-fisted and like relied so heavily on the bigness of the effects and stuff. But I was like, the story here is like, I don't know. I've seen seen Westerns that move me a lot more than this. It tried to have more of a story than it probably should have. And the story that it wanted to tell wasn't like, was kind of like slathered onto the screen. Like, oh, there's a kid somewhere. It did not feel like, it felt like, well, we need to make her more sympathetic. It was like it was trying to be a survival story like Mad Max, but it, it was not like it had a more purity of form than your average Hollywood movie because it didn't feel the need to show 17 scenes of her pre-launch with her family and whatever, yeah. like, you know, like whatever. It was just going to be they're in space. There's a problem. Is she going to survive or not? Mad Max is similar, but like, you know, multiplied by 10,000, right? With even less of a desire to try to have a conventional story. Um, so, but, but I'm, I'm classifying those in the same type of movie in that like they are, they are experience movies, movies that they gain a lot from being seen on the big screen, less so than plot driven movies or, or character driven movies or story movies, you know, like the, the, more, more conventional, great films where there's great characters doing interesting things, growing and changing and having challenges and right. triumphing or not at the end. Like these are not that type of movie. I'm trying to think of other movies like that. You know, it's funny. We started watching, um, Pee-wee's Playhouse, and I'm happy to say my, my daughter's pretty into it. And, uh, I, you know, I guess I'd kind of forgotten what a genius show that 
I mean, I, I loved it. I used to watch it when I was in college. You were probably what, probably like junior high or so when it came out. And but like you watch that show, and it's like you, I can't believe how much like big, bright, huge capital letter creativity is packed into like all of the three episodes we've watched from the first season so far. We're like, you feel like this is really like, I know, whatever, it's a kid's show. But like, it's, it's, it's so fundamentally different from almost anything else you would see from that time. Um, and it's, I think what, you know, part of what we're describing is something where like, it's nice when you get anything that is paced in a way that you just go, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. And even if you don't have time to like really, really think about it, if you can successfully stay subsumed into that, oh, wow, oh, wow, that's a great feeling. You know, but then I, I like it when it's a movie where I feel like if I do think about it a little bit after, like it's still the oh wow was still fun, but it was also like it doesn't fall apart when I think about it too much, right? I'm not sure if Pee Wee Herman is up to that standard, but something like Baba Duke, like have you seen that? I have not. Yeah, because you don't like the scary movies, right? I don't. <sighs> Let's skip that one. But uh, <clears throat> yeah, I feel like there's something about like. Part of it is like when you go back and you can have that thrill ride again, I I don't want to end negative, but I feel like there's not that many things out there where I could watch something more than a couple times and not feel some slightly diminished feeling of like, oh, that was still really good. But with this one, it's still like I still kind of I love that feeling of being overwhelmed by like one interesting idea well implemented after another. Yeah, Pee Wee's Playhouse was kind of like a very early live action precursor to the incredible bonanza of imagination that is adventure time. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I think it's hugely influential. And obviously he's hugely influenced by all kinds of, you know, he was pretty mobbed up. He went to school in Sarasota, but he was pretty heavily into like this, like an LA, the LA comedy scene and the groundlings. And uh, obviously you can just see in every little bit of stuff on the walls, the eclectic background of the people who made that show you know, somewhat psychedelic, you know, a little bit Alice in Wonderland. But, you know, that, that show's pretty triumphant even now. It's the first ch- this is the first participation show that my kid participates in. She's seven. She would never yell along mm-hmm. with Dora, but she will, like, yell the secret word, you know? Yeah, that peewee, he's infectious. He is. Yeah, I was scared by a large march, speaking of scary movies. <laughs> I'm so scared to show her that scene to this no, day. No, you can't. It's, it's like, don't scar your children. Tell like, a large march that you... Them, let them choose their own scarring movies. You don't have to, to pick one that you know is going to do it. 